plans for my crazy day. My packed commute. All those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. This is Locked on Ravens. For week five, the Ravens just lost 16 to 10 to the uh, Redskins. And I am Josh, and joining me is Ken McCusick from Russell Street Report. Ken, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I mean, it, it's been an ugly ugly week of Baltimore sports, and uh, losing an ugly game to the Redskins doesn't help. No, it doesn't. It's uh, It was bad. Obviously, the loss to Toronto is not a good thing either. But uh, in a lot of ways, this hurts more given the Redskins' attitude towards the Ravens moving back into Baltimore. No, I, I tell you what, I, I work in D.C. a lot. And today on my commute, a little bit, I turn on a little bit of sports talk in D.C. They are very happy and feeling very good about the Redskins after that win against the Ravens yesterday. Okay, let them feel good. This is the last couple times the Ravens have lost a regular season game to the Redskins. Uh, or at least two of the times recently in 2000 and 2012, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So you've probably heard that. I have heard that. Unfortunately, this team does not look like a Super Bowl team to me. Um, the one stat I was wondering is this is our second loss in a row at home. That hasn't happened that often. Do you even know no, the last hasn't. time we did that happened in Baltimore? Fairly sure it was last year because they finished five and eleven. Oh, I guess I guess when you've got a bad team, we're just yeah, that's true. I I, I like to forget about last year. Um, but that would make sense. So, well, let's, let's start with this game. And I, and I know a whole lot of stuff went on in this game and it seemed like the theme of this game was that we killed ourselves and not at no point was that more evident than CJ Mosley. So he, he makes a big interception, takes it back for a touchdown and fumbles it through the end zone where on the replay, it looks like he kind of tries to throw it into the end zone. That let's start right there because that ended up affecting the the rest of the game. Yeah, we, weird play. Unfortunately, hopefully, it doesn't become the play that defines the Ravens' entire season. It does just hopefully will define this game. Uh, it looked terrible on the replay. It certainly looked like a he hurt himself, but b just kind of served the ball up almost like he was playing bocce into the end zone with that uh, with that football. It looked very bad. Yeah, no one no one touched the ball and no one touched his arm. It just went. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, it's one of those things where ball security close to the goal line is extra important. It's not just a matter of the increased points that were on the line. It's the touchback rules and how they work. So you fumble the ball through the end zone. You also give up possession. You don't just give up yardage somehow. So uh, that was a shame and uh, certainly was a was a very bad play. Um, Mosley was squirming around on the sideline for a while, of course, and the, the replay was being checked to see what had happened exactly before the touchback was ruled. And uh, that's the way it went. And the Ravens ended up effectively giving them a 17-yard play on a play they should have had a turnover and a first-and-goal situation. Yeah, and not, and not only that, but yeah, then Mosley had no chance to redeem himself. Yeah, yeah Mosley was out of the game at that point with some sort of problem that I, I don't think has been uh, uh, made clear yet with, with relation to his hamstring. Um, but there were three impacts that were immediate in the game. And the first was... 
the Ravens um, lost a timeout. Before they could even snap the ball the next time, they had to get Orr's helmet, Zach Orr's helmet, switched out to a green dot helmet, You know, one of the ones that has the radio in, inside it. And that took them more time, apparently, because Orr was the last player on the sideline. McClellan had already been inserted at inside linebacker. We'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, Orr took more time to get on the field, so they lost a key timeout at that point. Um, okay, I, won- I wondered what happened there. So it was all about getting that helmet switched out because one player has the green dot so they can talk with the coach. Yeah, that's, that had to be what it was. I, I haven't heard them say officially that's what it was, but it just does, nothing else really makes sense to me. Gotcha. That makes sense. So, so okay, then, then the Ravens end up with Albert McClellan playing inside linebacker. And Albert McClellan has been a good outside linebacker for the Ravens the last few years. And he has a set of skills that really help the Ravens playing on the edge and playing on running downs in particular. He's a good edge setter. Um, not a great drop to coverage guy. Always had a weakness there. And, you know, if he when he does drop to coverage on third down, it's, a, it's been something that opposing quarterbacks have looked to take advantage of him. And, and it's certainly not uh, an ideal person to have at an inside linebacker role where there are even greater coverage responsibilities. So the very first two plays, Albert was in the game. They ran for 12 and 16 yards, and they did it right up the middle. On both those plays, Albert was blocked in a key way that uh, that led to the long run. And again, that's being blocked in space as opposed to setting the edge where Albert's really setting up. Think of it as a big obstructive pillar you're putting on the side of the offensive formation that the back either has to go around and waste time or he can actually make the tackle or, or close it off so the inside guys can, can come in and make a play. But it's not the case. And when he's an inside linebacker, he needs to be the guy who makes a tackle. He needs to shed blocks. It's, it's very different from, from playing the okay. edge. So, and, and not, not his uh, strong suit. No, not his, not his strong suit. So anyway, that didn't work out well. He was picked on later in the game for two receptions on games for games of 13 and 8 down the stretch. So he had a tough game. He didn't even play that many sla- snaps at inside linebacker. It was only 13 as I counted it. So uh, tough game for him on the inside. It really leaves the question open as to who's going to play there next week. So Ravens, you have some options, and we'll see how they go with that. And ideally, we got to hope that the Mosley thing is minor and he'll be back. Yes, but yeah, that'd be but perfect. It, it sounds like that's you're you're thinking it, it's a, it's got to be worse than that. Got to be prepared for it to be worse. Okay. Um, with hamstring injuries, with baseball players, as you know, or oblique injuries, right? You never they know. can be recurring. Yes. And, and you know they can they can come back and they can be a problem. So the other the other thing that I found interesting about the uh, thing and a third in game impact of this was we've talked about the dime defense and how Pease really doesn't seem to like the dime. I I, I can't go by what he says because he'll tell you he, he's perfectly comfortable putting whatever best eleven are on the field. Right. But he'd only played a hundred snaps of dime in four years and change of being the offensive coordinator. Uh, sorry, the defensive coordinator. But anyway, in this game. After Mosley's injury, he played 10 snaps of dime. So he, he increased by 10% the entire dime snaps of the Pease era. Is, is, is dime uh, simpler to run? That, that you, when you, you've got the coach Mosley, the on-field coach kind of off the field, are you trying to simplify things for the guys? Or wh- wh- why would you change? That's a good question. I mean, the players know their assignments, I think, within the scheme. So it's really the individuals know it. And there's on-field players like Weddle and Webb who are good, particularly with the secondary of resetting the people. I think Orr probably can do that as well for his his line, line mate, 
Um, but I would think that a player like Levine, who's on as the dime and therefore is, would be playing next to Orr, would be looking to either Orr or Weddle to be positioned if he needed to. Now, Levine's a, a veteran. He's in his fifth or sixth year now. I forget which. But he's he's been around long enough to know the position. He played well, I thought, in his brief trial on Sunday. Um, it, it was interesting. They played at all sorts of different down and distance situations, including a second and two and a third and one, which is not normally a time where you'd have six defensive backs on the field when you're ahead. Um, but uh, that's the way of it. The dime, the Redskins averaged only 3.7 yards per play in their 10 plays against the dime, whereas with McClellan in an inside linebacker, they had 7.6 yards per play. So uh, it's not always a great stat to go by, but in this case, I think the difference is fairly telling. Wow. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing how you can look at that one play by C.J. Mosley and see how much of an impact that had on, on the rest of the game. And in a, in, a, in a point where it seemed like it seemed like at some parts the Ravens were dominating the Redskins, except for on the scoreboard. Yeah, they, they certainly did the job on them defensively. And after when that play was picked off, basically my immediate feeling was we're going to win the game. As soon as he picks the ball off, we're going to be somewhere in the red zone, down three points, good chance to at least get even. And the, and the, the Redskins had not done anything offensively. I mean, they, they scored on the kick return. They, they were given a touchdown in, in that regard, and they otherwise did score later in the game on a, on a pass play. But they really had done very little offensively against the Ravens, and uh, it, it was really a shame that losing the ball there certainly was a play that cost the Ravens the game. You could point to others as well. Uh, but that was a play that cost them the game, and uh, and really there was no reason when the uh, when the Ravens were dominating defensively the way they were. Now, now you can we can say all this, and that they play impacted the game a lot. But uh, is it something that uh, C.J. Mosley made a mistake in going for the end zone? Is it just bad luck? Would uh, is there anyone? Should we it, really blame Mosley in this? Uh, it's probably a combination of both, and I think it's fair to blame Mosley in part for what happened. Defensive players, I, I am not a person that says you should hold up defensive players, always fall on the football, this kind of stuff a sixth or seventh grade coach would tell you. I mean, the players who can make a play with the football, and particularly the ones on defense, generally have a better chance to score than offensive players. And the reason is they're not facing defensive players. Right. To, to do so. So the old fast break offense of the Ed Reed and McAllister and Samari roll era when they would turn the ball around. Um, I'm all for that. You know, try and get in the end zone, do the best you can. So he, he did, he tried it. Uh, somehow, you know, the ball security there, not having a hand on you know top and bottom on the bowl or not really knowing exactly the, the situation right at the pylon there. That was a big mistake. And getting the one would have been a lot better, obviously, than fumbling the ball right. or any of the other outcomes. Yeah, that, that's what I had a problem with. I had no problem with him returning the ball. It was trying to stretch to get that extra extra yard and a half. Right. Uh, as a guy who, who's, who's that's not what he does day in, day out, we would have, I'm pretty confident we would have gotten into the end zone if he landed on that one-yard line. Yeah. Yeah, the running game was going well, and honestly, uh, he, he, I'm sure he's not thinking about that. He's, he's generally thinking, I need to score, I need to score, I need to score. Right. Uh, it's kind of like Homer thinks about eat the pudding, eat the pudding, eat the pudding, and he can't think about anything else. I mean, just I understand it. It's just it wasn't a good right. ball security it, it's, move. It's the same plays that we see at the end of the game sometimes where a guy will pick off an interception that will lock the game in, and he'll still try to run around with it even though he could just go to the ground and the game would end. Your natural thing is to get into the, other, to get into the end zone. Yes. So, 
All right, uh, Ken, let's take a break, and then we're going to come back with uh, a favorite topic that we talk about every week. We're going to look at the pass rush and talk about ample time in space. All right, you're listening to Locked on Ravens, and joining me is Ken McCusick from uh, Russell Street Report. Now, Ken, we just talked about C.J. Mosley and a lot about basically about one play. The entire game we, we've been looking at, and we've been narrowing down to about, I don't know, 15 seconds on the play clock. So let's go and look at it from the whole game in the broad sense, sense with ample time and space and how the uh, Ravens attacked this and limited ample time and space for Kirk Cousins. Which, right. Uh, and you explain ample time and space simply as the amount of time the, the uh, quarterback has in the pocket with clearance to, to throw the ball. That's that's right. So he's three full seconds plus a one-step radius. Uh, it's an arc. Uh, 60 degrees either side of the target is qualifies as ample time and space if you've got all of that. So anyway, uh, Redskins quarterback Cousins dropped back 41 times. He spiked the ball another time. That's not included in this. But 41 times 25 were ample time and space, which is over 60%. You'll remember that Flacco had 38% last week. We haven't looked at the offensive line yet tonight. We'll do that. Uh, for the Ravens, but based on that opportunity set, it was, should have been about a 271-yard effort. That's based on Flacco's average ample time and space numbers for both ATS and not ATS. Okay. He actually got 250 yards. So if you look at it as the interplay between the secondary and the pass rush, the pass rush underperformed, but the secondary really made that as if it was a normal kind of a 50% dif- uh, um, ATS and not ATS game. And, and especially when you consider the quality of the Redskins receivers, tight ends, and whatnot, I think there's a very solid effort by the Ravens secondary. It's what, you would, what you'd have to say about it. Yeah, but I again, mean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Suggs got in there a few times. We definitely saw Suggs getting in there and putting some pressure on from the, the, the spike that you're not counting was Suggs was going to get him really big with a big sack, and he just spiked it real quick. Uh, yes. There were even yes, some that, words, words exchanged between Suggs and Cousins after that play. Yeah. Right, just, a, just a little bit of finger-wagging like you see. It's just a, right. a very mild form of taunting. But Suggs, nobody diagnoses the screen like Terrell Suggs, and he saw it coming a mile away, and he kept at a distance where he basically said, you're not going to get this done. He just stared right at him, and right. Cousins immediately knew it was up and threw the ball into the ground. Yeah. Uh, and then then in the fourth quarter with Suggs, there was another play where I thought I thought my TV screwed up for a second because Suggs gets through the line, and Cousins is right there, and for half a second, they both stand still. And then Suggs fin- finished with the sack. So yeah. that, that uh, entertained me as well as far as our pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, Suggs, Suggs has been doing his part um, of the of the outside rushers. He's still been the best, even though uh, it hasn't been the Terrell of old. He's got four sacks in five games. There's hard to find a lot of problem with that. This game I thought was good for Suggs because he increased his snap count to 46, and that's 77% of the snaps. And we've talked a little bit about this as the year's gone on, but I didn't really foresee Suggs getting back to this this percentage of snaps, but they needed him out there and he did a really good job on Sunday. And I think he was one of the defensive bright spots for the Ravens. Um, if I was to pick one other, I'd say that Timmy Jernigan, who had three pressures and a quarterback hit in 25 pass snaps, did a good job. Jernigan had one play where he didn't even rush the passer. He was in on a pass snap and he just kind of took a, almost like a catcher's stance beyond the uh, line of scrimmage. And it was an odd kind of a 
way to just look at a lineman and stare him down, but he, he did not actually try and rush the passer on one of those snaps. So it was interesting. Yeah. The the um the the other thing that was strange with the Redskins is three and one. They they got into these third and one situations all the time, and and you'd be I was watching the game on TV and I'd say, oh they're gonna run it. No, they throw it. Well, this time they got to run it. No, they throw it. What, what why'd they keep throwing it? That's that's right. It, it's uh, quite a testament to the Ravens' defensive line. But uh, they lined up seven times on third and one. Seven times in a game that doesn't happen that many times very often. And they had one 16-yard pass to convert. That was their only conversion in, in those attempts. They threw five incomplete passes. So think about that. Third and one, just like you said, they threw one of six completed passes on those things. Five incomplete passes, obviously, are not conversions. The seventh time, they lined up and where they're going to run the ball, but they got called for a false start. So they, they didn't get the uh, playoff, and it was negated by penalty, and then they had to run a third and six, and that was incomplete. So in any case – Fantastic effort by the Ravens' defense, and I think that that kind of a pathological aversion to running that you see from the Redskins that situation is really a testament to the way the Ravens were able to reestablish the line of scrimmage in the backfield frequently. Pierce and uh, Brandon Williams and Brent Urban on one third and one just did a great job uh, of redefining the space in the backfield and where the line of scrimmage was. I, I still don't understand it because, as you said, the the passing the passing game worked once you you would think that if you keep running the ball with one yarders uh you'll probably get two of them <laughs> i would have thought they'd convert more than one of six if they just committed to the run every time but uh but they didn't to be fair they did run twice on fourth and one and they went one for two on those um that's just one of the worst performances i've ever seen on third and fourth and one in one game to go to go what effectively is two for nine on those plays which adds to the argument that the Ravens beat themselves on Sunday. Yeah, the de- it wasn't the defense's fault, unless you want to fault Mosley on the one play. It really they did their job. No, oh, and we'll, we'll get to the offense on on Wednesday because there's lots yeah. to talk about on there. Um, let's take one more break and then get back with Sharice uh, Wright because I was kind of surprised on Sunday morning to see that he was marked as inactive, and I think it really affected them in the game. All right, this is Locked on Ravens with me. I'm Josh, and joining me is, as always, is Ken McCusick from Russell Street Report. And, Ken, let's talk about Sharice Wright. He, he, he struggled the past three games. He gave up a lot of touchdowns. I believe in the past you said that it's not fair to blame all of those on, on Sharice Wright, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I, I, I would say that. I don't think he's had good safety help right. in these games. Of course, five touchdowns is still a lot of touchdowns. Sure. Sure, but then so he goes into this game, and the Ravens decided to mark him inactive. Yeah, surprised he wouldn't even be available off the bench. They just decided they didn't need him for this week. So let's go there. Yeah, that's right. He's one of the seven players designated to not play. So it was surprising to me too. Uh, I I get up; it's one of the first thing I check before I go to the game, and and so I could we can write up our little score sheet to do at the game for the secondary. Noticed he wasn't in, and and uh, that Price was uh, active, and that Davis was active, and I really honestly thought Davis would get the start. We show up at the ballpark. Price gets a start that lasted for four snaps before he got hurt. So that's Sheldon Price. The good thing about trying Sheldon Price out at that position is it's a high payoff. Sheldon is a first-year player, so if he ends up being good, you got four years of team control that you can uh, enjoy the quality of this player. And then the next 
guy I really expected Will Davis to get the shot at, at, at that point. He's active. He was, uh, uh, you know, had his helmet on. Was playing special teams, but uh, uh, he didn't get a chance. It was Tavon Young next, and Tavon is a little bit of a an odd decision because Tavon had been an outstanding nickel for the Ravens, just playing terrifically in in 65 snaps of nickel through the first four games. But then he came in and he took over uh, on the outside playing at left cornerback. Okay. Did, do you think that worked out okay? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I think his, his overall game was very good. He allowed a bunch of short completions with very short amounts of yak. So uh, he had a, a, a one reception for one yard, for example, for Reed, where it's a minus two plus three yak by the right sideline. And I've got more detail in my article if you want to go through the individual ones, but he didn't give up any single big play. And he didn't give up any yards after the catch, yak amount greater than three yards. So that's a very good game um, from my position. There were two plays where I thought um, you know, he could have done better. One, he got boxed out uh, on his body by, by Reed's body between the hash and right numbers. Uh, it was a good play by Reed, and in order to make that play, he had to absorb a really big hit from Mosley. It was a linebacker converging from the other side. So that was one. The other was on the last meaningful offensive snap for the Redskins, which is Q4-250. Um, Jackson, Deshaun Jackson, had a 40-yard route down the right sideline where he had uh, Young beaten by a step, and the ball was overthrown. And that was the only other time where he really wasn't in position to make a play. I thought... I want to look at the All-22 and see if it really confirms how good his coverage was for the rest of the game. But based on what we saw and the notes I took on the, the first run-through of the broadcast video, he was just outstanding. So so you think Young gets a start uh, next Sunday against the Giants? That's the way I'd see it, is that he's, uh, he's the man now who's got the job. He, having played well there means a lot, even for one week. Uh, they do need him as the slot cornerback, uh, but they need him more as an outside cornerback at this point. I think they'll go with Gerard Powers as the slot cornerback now uh, this next week. And and uh, and you mentioned that you thought that Davis would get the start, but he mm-hmm. didn't. He he got what special team? He got some special team play, but that's it. Um, why why don't you use him in that situation? I I really don't know. I can't answer that question. Obviously, what I saw in the preseason and what I saw at camp when Davis was probably the Ravens' best cornerback at any position, uh, isn't what the coaches are seeing now in practice. So they, they have a you know a good view of this. I trust their judgment to have the right guy in the game. And they thought Tavon would be the better matchup. It may have been a matchup situation where the, they knew the Redskins were going to put um, Jackson, for example, over on, their, on that side. And Young is the only one who can match up speed-wise among the Ravens' corners with him. So it may have been that was a case there. They felt like they needed Young there this game, but against a different set of receivers, you could put Davis on the outside. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Now, the other thing we noticed is we're now five games through. We're starting to get to know this team. We're getting to know who the stars are going to be on the defense. We're also getting to see that guys like Webb and Weddle have been on the field the entire games. Mosley's been out there pretty much all except for when he got hurt. And, uh, What's what does that tell about about the team now that you can kind of pinpoint who who's playing out there the most, who's got the most snaps? Right. I mean, that's you make a good point. I mean, I I published the snap count percentages for the first five games for all three levels of the defense. So that's out in my in my story on Russell Street Report now on Film Study, 
And if you look at that and you break it down, the defensive line snaps have been split among five players. Jernigan and Williams are getting the most, 68 and 66% respectively. Jernigan is the primary pass rushing uh, chess piece that the Ravens have available in the interior line, so he's in for those snaps. Williams is the primary run-stopping piece the Ravens have, so he's in for a lot of snaps as well as a starting nose. They have two guys, Guy and Pierce, who are each getting about the same number of of, uh, snaps. Guy is a a combination run and pass uh, value guy, and Pierce has been primarily against the run, although he's provided really good value on some pass rushing. And and then you have Urban, who uh, has played about 13% of snaps. So he's getting the fewest. In total, the Ravens are playing about 2.22 defensive linemen per snap, which is interesting and low. In a 3-4 defense, you'd normally uh, would expect them to have three defensive linemen playing on, on most snaps and then two defensive linemen playing on a, a typical four-man front set where you, where you still have to put in two, two linemen on most of those plays. But in fact, the Ravens often use just one defensive lineman, and then they'll move a linebacker inside on those. So that's why it, it ends up being only 2.22 per snap. Okay. That makes sense. I see. Uh, and is there any concern with the secondary, with those guys, the same guys playing so much, or is that pretty typical? It's, it's pretty typical. That, that you're, you want your best people on the field. If you've got Darrell Rivas, you want him on the field every snap. Jimmy okay. Smith has been out there for 99% of the snaps. Webb for hey, – he's actually missed one snap at 100% on a rounded basis. Right. Weddle, Weddle missed about three snaps with that concussion issue in the recent game. It might it might be up to four or five missed now for the year, but he's at 99%. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a mix of guys. Young now is, I think, the, the, the number on the rise. He's up to 43% of snaps, and he, he I think, is basically going to play – the lion's share of snaps for the remainder of the season. He might finish the year on the outside, but even if he doesn't, he's played so well that he'll be playing all the nickel snaps or a, or a high percentage of those nickel snaps otherwise. So I'd expect the rest of the way you're probably going to see uh, 85 to 90% plus of the snaps Young will be in for. Okay, and it, and I'm glad to see, as you, you mentioned earlier, uh, Terrell Suggs' percentages and playing time going up because uh, no none of us expected that with him being older and coming off an injury. So that's a positive. Yeah, very much so. He, he's at sixty-seven percent on the inside, or sorry, on the outside linebacker, and it, it's pretty evenly split. Zadarius Smith has had sixty-seven percent. McClellan's had sixty percent. Suggs sixty-seven. Um, I think since Suggs is coming back, I think maybe I'd have to ratchet up my estimate of how much he's going to play, play to be closer to seventy percent at this point. But uh, you know, he's played well enough. He certainly is is got enough football smarts to get by and he's still a plus player on the pass rush and a plus player against the run just not as much of a plus as he used to be all right well thank you ken uh before we get out of here i know we talked defense on mondays but the ravens made big news today with firing mark tressman uh right. cl- clearly no, no one's gonna at least no regular fan who just watched the game on tv is gonna question that because we've all been frustrated with the way tressman's been calling the games um did you expect that today? Did you think it was going in that direction, that he was on the hot seat? Um, I'm not shocked by the move, but I, I guess I, I'm a little surprised it's happened this quickly. Right now, the problem with the Ravens, you could you can call it play calls, but there's very little chance for Tressman to impact the game when nobody on the offensive line can stop anybody. So if you have a couple of really bad games in a row like the Ravens have just had, uh, you know, without Ronnie Stanley, now without Rick Wagner, yes. we're going to talk about that on Wednesday. You know, it's very hard to right this ship. And Marty Warningweg has a 
very substantial task in front of him. It is a mountain to climb. He's going to have to rebuild the Ravens' play-action game because I think it's the only way they're going to find the time and space to use some of the speed um, uh, assets that the Ravens have in the passing game, whether that's uh, Moore or Rashad Perryman or Wallace, whoever it is, to get them time to get free of their routes. Flacco needs more time in the pocket, and that begins with the offensive line. All right. Well, I am excited to talk with you on that about Wednesday, about that on Wednesday, because uh, yeah, as as you said, the the offensive line is extremely banged up right now, and 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 that's uh, probably a big thing that we can blame two home losses on if we want to find something. So that we'll get to that on Wednesday as we break down the offensive line. Uh, for now, Ken, as people want to dig into all the defensive stuff we went over, they can go on over to Russell Street Report and find you right in. Uh, how can they do that? And yes, they can find. The column's name column is called Film Study. If you want to go over there and you read a lot of what we've just been talking about in some greater detail, um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Film Study Ravens, and happy to be part of the discussion there. And how about your show on three thirty six, Josh? Yeah, my my show is Section three thirty six. We're on Section three thirty six dot com and UtahStreetReport dot com, and uh, once in a while we make our way over to RussellStreetReport dot com as well. But uh, we are a Baltimore sports talk. And uh, we uh, had to take last week off. We just couldn't uh, get ourselves to, together to put a show after that uh, after that loss in Toronto. We we needed a week off, but we'll be back uh, tomorrow Tuesday to kind of talk about season end and stuff and where do the Orioles go from here, as well as uh, we'll talk about this Trustman uh, dismissal. Tell us on the on the off season for baseball because I know you guys are really big baseball fans. How what do you talk about primarily, and then? Uh, does the does the frequency of the show shut down a little bit during the off season? No, no, the frequency doesn't shut down. If anything, we get a little looser on uh, on on show format, and uh, we'll we'll just talk uh, more general. And off season's a fun time for us to argue because we get to argue about what the Orioles should be doing in the front office, and we have no game film to 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 defend ourselves with. So it's a lot of emotion and a lot of just. Uh, arguing over what Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter are going to be doing this offseason. There's there's big decisions to be made with Matt Weeders, with Mark Trumbo, with a pitching staff that shows some signs that they're good, but we haven't had that in many years in Baltimore. All right. I, I want to just mention the fans. I've been on Josh's show several times. It's it's funny and it's opinionated, and I'd highly recommend it. So if you if you have time, give it a listen. Thank you, Ken. So, all right, Ken. Well, I can't wait. Uh, we'll talk again on Wednesday as we break down the offense. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.